Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice to us, Lord, and to draw close to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Genesis 44, Genesis 44, and if you'd like to turn there, please, and we'll continue in, in our study here, Genesis 44, verse 1. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest in his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. And when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have you rewarded evil for good? Is not this that in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing." And he overtook them, and he spake unto them these same words. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold, the money which we found in our sack's mouth, we brought it again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, let both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. And he said, Now also let it be according to your word, he with whom it is found, shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground, opened every man his sack, and he searched, began at the eldest, left at the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they rent their clothes and laid at every man his ass and returned to the city. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that you have done? What you not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. Okay, now in our last study, you remember that we saw Joseph's plan, it was a wonderful plan. It was a very wise plan. And really, it was a plan that was just goodness. It was just a plan of goodness because Joseph in this plan was just being good to his brothers to bring them through repentance out of their sins and to make them ready for a real reconciliation with Joseph. And as we saw Joseph with such such great wisdom formulate and execute this plan, What we saw in that was God, how he does for us with his great wisdom and with his, how he formulates for each one of us 
a tailor-made, custom-made, custom-produced plan just for us to bring us out of our sins and uh, as he did and make us ready as he did for the real reconciliation with God. And the verse that illustrates what Joseph's doing here is in Romans 2.4. In Romans 2.4, it says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Okay, now let's look at this. Let's look back on what happened here. So in our last study, we saw that Joseph's brothers had three basic sins that characterized their relationship with Joseph. And the first sin was triggered when their father loved Joseph more than his, than his brothers. And then Jacob then made this coat of many colors. So what was the first sin that Joseph's brothers were guilty of? Yeah, jealousy and envy. It was envy and jealousy. That's a very serious sin because, because that was the sin that the chief priests were guilty of when they, and that's what drove them to deliver the Lord Jesus to the, to Roman, to the Romans, to Pilate. And Pilate knew it. And it says that in Mark 15.10. Mark 15.10 says, for he, that's Pilate, for he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. So that was the first sin that they were guilty of. That was the sin of envy and jealousy. The second sin was triggered by the brothers when Joseph saw this no good activity that they were up to, and he reported their no good activity to Jacob. And that triggered the second sin that characterized the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. So what was that second sin? Yeah, it was really, it was vengeance, but it was, you could say, hatred. It was a hatred. It was really a special hatred. It was a hatred for getting them in trouble, all right? And so they hated him because he got them in trouble. So that was their second sin that characterized the relationship. Okay, the third sin that Joseph's brothers were guilty of was when they sold him as a slave they watched him be carried off by the Midianites into Egypt, and they did not respond to his cries for mercy. What was that third sin? And I remember that third sin that characterized the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. It starts with an A. That's it. Abandonment. Abandonment. So these are the three sins. Okay, envy and jealousy, envy and hatred, because he got him in trouble, and abandonment. Now, we saw how Joseph so wisely engineered the perfect test to see if the brothers had really changed, really to probe out. Were they cleansed from these sins of envy and hatred and abandonment? So what was the test that Joseph made to see if his brothers no longer had the sin of envy? What did he do? Yeah, he set it up it was all centered around Benjamin. And Benjamin came, and then at, at that feast that they had, you remember what he did for Benjamin? What did he do? He gave him five times a bigger portion. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? <laughs> no problem for me to eat five times more than everybody else. But anyway, Benjamin is sitting there with five times the amount of food and Joseph has engineered all this. And he's sitting there at a table separate from them. He's watching them. He's observing them. 
Benjamin, everybody gets their plate full of, me, of, of food, and Benjamin gets five times. He gets five plates. <laughs> and then he observes. Joseph looks very carefully, and he's looking, he's scanning over each one of the brothers, and he's looking, is there, do I see envy? Do I see jealousy? Because Benjamin is getting more honored and getting these five times more food. And as he's doing that, Joseph is really asking the question, do they have that same envy and jealousy when I, Joseph, was more honored than them? When I, Joseph, received that coat of many colors that they didn't get? And thank God that they passed and they didn't show any envy, any jealousy of Benjamin because he was honored above them and he received five times more food. Now, then Joseph engineers this second, this second test to probe out to see if his brothers still have this sin of hatred for getting them in trouble. So what was that? What was that? How did he engineer that? Joseph engineered a test to see if the brothers would still have hatred for someone who gets them in trouble. Who got them in trouble? Benjamin got him in trouble. He got him in a lot of hot water. What did he do? What did Joseph do? Yeah, he planted the cup in Benjamin's sack. And that got the brothers in a lot of trouble. Because because of that, they all had promised and agreed to become slaves. So Benjamin here gets them into big trouble. Then again, Joseph sits back and he scans over and he watches each one of the brothers to see if they're going to hate Benjamin for getting them in trouble like they hated Joseph for getting them in trouble. And thank God that he didn't see that. He didn't see any hatred of Benjamin for getting him in trouble. And, and so that he knows they're free. They're free from that former sin of hating for getting them in trouble. Okay. And then the last test that Joseph had engineered was really designed to see whether the brothers still had within them the sin of abandonment. And what was that test? Yeah. So they had said, you'll notice there, their proposal was, okay, before they knew that it was in Benjamin's sack. Okay. They said, the person you find it in the sack, he'll die and we'll become slaves. We'll be slaves. Okay. But Joseph had, well, actually, through the servant, he had already stated to them, and then Joseph confirmed it, no, 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 the person who stole the cup, he will become a slave, and then you're all free to go home in peace. He said, <laughs> I don't know what kind of peace they'd have, but anyways, he says, you're all free. And so Joseph then, with this new proposal, he watches and he's, going, and he's looking very carefully. Are they going to abandon Benjamin like they abandoned me to be a slave? Are they going to turn their back as Benjamin becomes a slave, as they turn their back on me when I became a slave? And instead of leaving, as Joseph had told them, go ahead, go home, you're free. They didn't leave. They didn't leave Benjamin behind, as we're going to see. So thank God that they didn't abandon Benjamin, which means they were free from their former sin of abandonment. So it's by their own actions that the brothers were put to the test, and they proved that their former sins of envy and hatred and abandonment, which was part of their past, they were free from that, and they never could be accused of that again. And that's the same for us. It's true of us. Because of repentance and not repeating 
the same sins when put in a similar situation, not repeating them from the past, the sins of the past. That makes the sins in the past, and because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, God's never going to hold those sins against us, and that's the power behind 1 Corinthians 6, 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, which says, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. And then he gives a list. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Thank God for the past tense in that verse of our sins and the present tense of our deliverance when it says, such were, past tense, some of you, but ye are, present tense, washed, but ye are, present tense, sanctified, but ye are, present tense, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So just think of what Joseph's doing here. I mean, just look at what Joseph's doing here. Joseph has set up Benjamin to represent him. And what the brothers do to Benjamin is seen by Joseph as what the brothers do to him. Joseph has set up Benjamin to be his representative so that Benjamin represents Joseph. He's made it all so that Benjamin is is standing in his place. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ does. Joseph is like the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers are like Benjamin. We are like Benjamin. And the Lord Jesus Christ looks and judges persons like Joseph was looking and judging his brothers, and he sees how they treat believers. And the Lord Jesus sees how the world, how individuals treat believers like Joseph saw how his brothers were treating Benjamin. And the Lord Jesus Christ considers how persons treat believers, and he says, it's just like they're treating me. Just like Joseph was considering how his brothers were treating Benjamin as they treated him. And the Lord Jesus made this very clear when he said this discourse about this in Matthew 25, and starting in verse 32, Matthew 25, 32. And I'm going to read it now, and I want you, as I read it, think of Joseph sitting as the silent judge, watching and observing how his brothers treated Benjamin, and then judging his brothers based on how they treated Benjamin. Now just think about it as I read this, Matthew 35, 25, 32, 25, 32. And before him shall be gathered all nations, there's the brothers, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked, you clothed me. Sick, you visited me. In prison, you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him and saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw thee a stranger, took thee in. Naked, clothed thee. When saw we thee sick? and in prison and came unto thee. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them in the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil's angels. 
I was hungry. You gave me no meat. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You took me on in. Naked. You clothed me not. Sick and in prison. You visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, a thirst, and stranger, naked, sick, prison, did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it not unto me, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal." That's the whole picture here, with Joseph setting up Benjamin as his representative and watching how the brothers treated him. Now, we return now to pick up where we left off, and we saw in verse 12 that the silver cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Verse 13, we saw how all the brothers tore their clothes in an act of complete shame and guilt And we saw in verse 13, they all returned back to the city. And now it's very significant as we see their entrance into Joseph's house. What it says in verse 14, the brothers came to Joseph's house. And then it says, let me say this again. What it does not say in verse 13, verse 14, it's very significant. What it says there is that Judah and his brethren came into Joseph's house. It's very important that it puts it that way. Judah and his brethren. doesn't say his brethren, his brethren alone, but it says Judah and his brethren. Why? Well, the safeguard. It wasn't called the safeguard. Anyway, the, the safety or something, the one who was going to stand in for Benjamin if he doesn't bring him back. But what we see here in verse 14 is that Judah is really stepping forward now as the leader of his brothers. And this is not the first time that Judah is doing this, but we see him now stepping forward here as leader of the brothers. Now, as a matter of fact, there was someone else who sought to step forward as a spokesman for the brothers to Jacob. You remember who that was? That was Reuben. That was Reuben. Reuben tried to be the leader and the spokesman for his brothers, and and he thought he had a a really great idea that if he didn't bring Benjamin back, that that Jacob could kill two of his grandsons. So that that didn't fly. And so that proposal, you know, that Reuben made, it caused him to fall from his position of really should have been the spokesman and leader of his brothers because he was the firstborn. But Judah, he, in that situation, he emerged as the new leader of his brothers when he convinced Jacob to send Benjamin. And this is all for us. We saw this in the last chapter of Genesis 43.3. Genesis 43.3, where it says, And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. And then it said in verse 8, Genesis 43.8, Judah said unto Israel, his father, Send the lad with me. And we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and our little ones. So what we see here in this verse that we're looking at now is that Judah is the leader of his brothers. And it's surprising for us to see Judah take the lead. Judah is, he's not the firstborn, as we said. Reuben is the firstborn. He should have been the leader. Judah's not even the secondborn. That was Simeon. Simeon, if Judah falls, then Simeon should take over. Judah, Judah's not even the thirdborn. That was Levi. I mean, Judah taking this leadership position for the brothers, he's the fourthborn, is totally unexpected. It's just a surprise. It's just like out of the blue. It's totally unexpected. It's surprising to see Judah take the lead, but it's prophetic. 
Because Judah here is a prophetic symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ, taking the lead. And that was surprising, the Lord Jesus taking the lead. Why? He wasn't from a prominent family in Israel, as you would expect a leader to be. He wasn't even born and raised in Jerusalem, the capital, at the feet of some great teacher. But his background was surprising, like Judah's. He, that he should become the leader and the king of the Jews? I mean, the Lord's background is described in a very, very unexpected and surprising way. When it says in Isaiah 53, 2, Isaiah 53, 2, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form, no comeliness. When we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Each one of those descriptions gives you the impression of unexpected, 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 surprise, surprise, surprise. His, his description as a root out of a dry ground. No one expects a root to grow that comes out of a dry ground. And no one expects Judah to become the leader of his brethren. But the Lord did grow as a root out of a dry ground. In fact, his name, just as the name that's revealed for us in Scripture in Isaiah 11.1, Isaiah 11.1, where it says, he shall come forth as a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots. His name is a branch, a branch. He's just a little rod out of a stem. He's just a branch. As a matter of fact, that becomes his name in Zechariah 6.12. Zechariah 6.12 says, speak unto him, saying, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, behold the man whose name is the branch. He shall grow up out of his place. He shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall build the temple, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and shall be a priest upon his throne. And the council of priests, peace, shall be between them both. The Lord's name is the branch. And as we see Judah here taking the lead position for his brothers, and we see really from this, this is why the people are called Jews because they're named after Judah as their leader, the unexpected leader, the surprising one who came out. And so the term Jew is really a prophecy of the coming day when the Jews will fulfill the reason why they're called Jews, (laughs) when they will fulfill their destiny, and they'll follow the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we study this portion here and we see how Judah is emerging as the leader and what he says, and all the other brothers are, are like, wow, we didn't know you had it in it, you Judah, you know, and uh, we're just stepping back in the background here and you be our speaker. Spokes. No one else speaks to the governor except for Judah. And so we have to keep in mind the prophetic significance when the Jewish people finally will fulfill their eternal calling to follow Judah, follow their king, the Lord Jesus Christ, from the tribe of Judah. That's why it says in Hebrews 7.14, Hebrews 7.14, again, speaking about the surprise of it all, when it said, it's evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. See, by using that word sprang in Hebrews 7.14 to refer how the Lord surprisingly came out of Judah is what we're seeing here. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages 
can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Join Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown at the Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference happening in San Diego on Friday evening, February 9th and Saturday morning, February 10th at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Learn from great Bible teachers like radio host Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, as well as world-renowned Jewish evangelist Ray Comfort, radio host Dr. Michael Brown, director of Jews for Jesus Israel Dan Sered, Friends of Israel field director Steve Herzig, Pastor Leo Giovanetti, and many others. Cost for this two-day conference is only $25, which covers all speakers, food, and materials. So register today to hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown, Jews for Jesus, and Friends of Israel on how we can reach the lost people of America and Israel on February 9th and 10th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at reachisrael.com, reachisrael.com.